Welcome to the Best of MBS, where you can enjoy some of the best interviews by Michael Bungay-Stanier, author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. Today's an exciting day. I'm talking today to Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, and anybody who's thought at all about how to work well in organizations, how to think differently about business, how to get the most out of yourself, out of your leaders, out of your people in organizations will have come across Marshall's work. He's written 23 books and he's been acclaimed by many organizations and institutions as one of the great thinkers in business and in HR. Really, Marshall Goldsmith is uh, a lighthouse <laughs> in business. It's not just his accomplishments in business that's exciting, but he brings a a generosity and an enjoyment to his work, which is infectious. And in, in my interactions with him, that's part of what's attraction. He's not a sort of dour guru. He is an enthusiastic, joyful guru. And that is pretty cool. So, Marshall, thank you for being on the call today. Very, very happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. And, Marshall, did I, is there anything you want to add to that introduction, just so people get a sense of who you are and where you've come from? Because I'm sure I've missed out a great deal. Well, you know, I do three things. One is I teach classes or give talks. Second is I do something called executive coaching, and my clients are either CEOs or could be CEOs of multi-billion dollar corporations. And the third thing is what you talk mostly about is I write and edit books and articles, and I have regular blogs on harvardbusiness.org and uh, businessweek.com. Yeah, I remember reading, um, uh, either hearing you or reading something you'd written saying, you know, you realized that you had to write because writing was the way you would have the most impact in the world. So balancing your schedule to make sure there was a, a constant opportunity to share your thoughts through the written word. Uh, you're exactly right. In terms of the three elements of my job, speaking is the most fun for me. I just basically enjoy it. Coaching is where I learn the most. And if you look at most of my writing, it's what I learned through coaching. Yeah. And writing is where I reach the most people. As you mentioned, my website, I give everything away. We just passed a milestone last week. Uh, the 2000th piece was just taken off the website from one of our uh, one of our readers and they've come from 188 countries which is great and so i mean excuse me the two millionth piece wow two millionth piece. that's fantastic so that's the i'm going to give that url now that's the marshallgoldsmithlibrary.com and it's a it's a, a vast reservoir of smart stuff so people should already be clicking that on and going to that to start downloading some more stuff Thank you. The more, the better. That's a pleasure. I, um, you know, one of the reasons I do these interviews, Marshall, is to try and get more people, more access to, to great thinking and, and people that matter. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hopefully be able to introduce you to a few people around the world. The very few people who haven't already bumped into you. Um, Marshall, tell me, because I love hearing people's individual stories of great work. Can you, can you share a story of your own great work? Well, this is a story... I guess it's a little bit about me, but it's also a story about one of my clients. This person was the number two person in a huge multi-billion dollar corporation. I was asked by the CEO to be his coach. Uh, in coaching him, 
I worked with him for about a year and a half, and my mission was to help him achieve a positive long-term change in behavior. Mm -hmm. And the way I work is I don't get paid if my clients don't get better. Better is not judged by me or them. It's judged by all the people around them. Although I was hired to work with him, my guess is about 200 people improved. There was just massive improvement throughout the company. And I learned so much from working with him. I actually spent less time personally with him than anyone I ever coached. The work had by far the biggest impact of anything I'd ever done. And I learned so much from him at the end of the project. I told him, I said, well, I appreciate getting paid. The reality is I should be paying you. I said, I learned so much from you in this project that basically I should be paying you. And he really helped me change my whole view of executive coaching and the way I work. I asked him, what should I learn from you as my wonderful client? Hey, I spent less time with you than anyone I coached, yet the impact was the greatest. What should I learn from you? And he taught me some great lessons. The first thing he said, Marshall, he said, don't ever make this coaching process about you. This process was about me and my team and the people around my team and our efforts to get better. And the first thing you need to learn as a coach is don't make the coaching process about you. Make it about your clients. And then he said another thing was very profound. He said, the way your coaching process works, you have one major challenge in life, great clients. If you have great clients, your coaching process will always work. If you do not have the right clients, your coaching process will never work. And I realized he was right. Then he said, in terms of my role as a leader, it's not a whole lot different. He said, uh, I have to have great people. If I don't have great people, I'm not going to be a success as a leader. And then he said, you know, I'm no different than you. Every day I come to work, I tell myself, leadership is not about me. It's about the people I'm leading. Well, the great lesson I learned from my client is, My coaching process should not be about me. It should be about my clients. Mm -hmm. Almost everything written in my field about executive coaching, to me, completely misses the point. Everything is written that indicates, you know, the great coach does this, the great coach does this, the great coach does something else, so-and-so is a great coach. What the, I think this totally misses the point. The focus should not be on the great coach. The focus should be on the great clients. The great client does this. The great client does this. And to me, the key variable for success in what I do is not me. It's the great people that I work with. And this gentleman taught me such a great lesson that, that you know, I've carried over. And we have a coaching partnership called Marshall Goldsmith Partners. And the coach in our coaching network that has the best results is probably the coach with the least qualifications on paper. Right. Yet he gets fantastic results. He doesn't have fancy PhDs and lots of degrees. He just ends up getting results with his clients. And the reason he gets results, probably better than my results overall, is because he doesn't get lost in his own ego. He doesn't make it all about him. He makes it about his clients. So to me, this is a great example of great work in the sense that I was hired to work with a client. The company paid me for the work I did. And the reality is the client taught me far more than I taught the client. And, you know, Clyde and I are still great friends. And still, still, we still are together all the time, have dinner, talk and stuff, and learn so, so much from this client. Marshall, let me ask you, because it's a, it's a powerful insight. Um, um, I think one of the sort of core truths about great work, which is it's not all about you. you know, great work can often get encapsulated into the sort of the solo hero striding out doing great things. And 
part of what you're sharing there is around, it's not about you, and in fact it's as much about who you have around you to support you and challenge you and learn from. But the, the phrase, you know, don't get tripped up by your own ego, easy to right. say, really difficult to do. I mean, what what insights can you offer around managing that those those ego needs? Well, the one thing I do that helps me in my coaching is I only get paid if my clients achieve positive long-term change in behavior. Right. That's pretty humbling because, uh, you know, I've not gotten paid a few years. Right. And uh, when you go a year and a half of working with someone and don't get paid, it kind of teaches you a lesson. If I'm so smart, how come I just wasted a year of my time and didn't get paid? Maybe I'm not that smart. Maybe I'm not that wonderful. And what I've learned is, you know, quit trying to save people and have religious conversions and to think I'm some know-it-all and really to focus on my clients and what they need. And it's been a very powerful and positive business learning for me. And it goes back to the next question you wanted to talk to me about. When do you say yes and when do you say no? Right. And the thing I've learned in my job is um, don't take bad business. Now, let me give you then give an example of a couple of times uh, when I should have said no. Yeah, please. I, I, I worked, and I'm going to give you two cases. One is, uh, the first time I didn't get paid, I was lost in my own ego. And, you know, the person's score on treating people with respect was two percentile. And they asked the person, well, why do people think you don't respect them? And they said, it's simple. They're all idiots. Well, what should I have said? Goodbye. Right. Oh, not me. I'm, I'm going to save this guy. I wasted a year of my life working with this guy before I finally go back to the CEO and said, look, do the world a favor. You shoot him before I shoot him. Well, I learned a great lesson. Right. I can't save people that don't care. Another time I worked in a client with the CEO hired me to coach a future CEO. And it really, I didn't think the CEO liked this person and I challenged him. And the CEO said, oh, yeah, yeah, he's fine. Well, in my heart, I didn't feel good about it. I did the assignment anyway. The guy got huge improvement scores, and then the CEO discounted everything and said he lacked marketing skills. Right. Well, it turned out I was being used as a pawn in some big political game. And I had a gut feeling I shouldn't have done it. My client got better. I got paid. But I wish I hadn't done the work right. because it was a trick. Well, I guess my learning point in terms of saying yes and saying no is in my job, I have the privilege of choosing to work with who I want to work with. And what I've learned is to say yes to great work it really is about great clients. Yeah. I need to make yeah. sure that I, if my clients are dedicated, they try to work hard and they try to get better, their issue is truly behavioral, not intellectual, technical, or functional. And number three, if they're given a fair chance, my process always works. Yeah. If these conditions do not exist... I need to say no. And by the way, saying no is just important as, as learning how to say no is just as important as learning how to say yes. It's and back to your early yeah. Oh yeah. And by the way, back to your earlier comment. You mentioned the individual achiever. Yeah. Well, my friend taught me a great lesson. For the great achiever, it's all about me. For the great leader or the great coach, it's all about them. This yeah. is a big Position. Yeah. You know, if you're an individual achiever just doing something on your own, maybe it is all about you. Right. But when you work with other people, don't make it all about you. When you work with other people, make it all about them. Part of what I think is very valuable in what you're sharing here, Marshall, is there's a, a couple of times you've talked about what am I measuring and how am I measuring it? What does success look like? And, you know, you've talked about, um, first of all, 
the client makes, in this context, the client makes the coach, and it reminds me very much of Peter Block's work where he says, you know, does this, does the teacher make the pupil or does the pupil make the teacher? Does the parent make the child or does the child make the parent? And inverting that changes the way we think about power and responsibility. I think that's a very powerful insight. But part of what I love what you're talking about is, you're very clear on some core metric, which is, I'm after positive behavior change. It's one of the most powerful definitions of coaching I know, positive behavior change. And I get paid or not by that one metric. That's one, right. One of the things I also believe I've read recently from you is, you've shifted from going, I'm trying to change three behaviors in a client, to these days, I just try and change the one core behavior that matters. Yeah, I've become increasingly simple as I've grown older. Uh, as I've grown older, I realize that my mission is not to help people learn. My mission is to help people do. Right. And it doesn't matter what you learn. If you don't do anything differently, the world does not become a better place. Right. And and as I've grown older, my my aspirations have got, become lower and lower and lower, and my impact has gone higher and higher and higher. Because instead of lofty aspirations about changing the world and huge companies and everybody in the world is going to be different because of the ever so lovely me, my aspirations have become much more practical. On the other hand, my impact is much greater because now I'm really helping real people in the real world. And I think that's what's important. One inspiration for everybody on this is Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. When she was asked, how did you end up helping 50,000 people? Her answer was one at a time. Right. Right. You know, there's a great book by that, which you may know, by a, a woman called Anne Lamott, and the book is called Bird by Bird. And mm-hmm. it's actually a book written about writing. How do you write? How do you, how do you write the next piece? It's a word by word, bird by bird. Yes. But it's a, it's, it's a spiritual book, really, because it's all about how do, you, how do you manage life? How do you get stuff done in this piece by piece? Take the next step and then take the next step. Right. Marshall, one of the, I mean, you worked with the most senior people in, in big companies around the world. Um, and a number of people listening to this interview will be mid-level managers in organizations. And they'll be going, you know, Marshall, it's all very well for you to be talking about how do you get senior leaders to do more great work. But, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in the middle of an enormous organization. How do I get more great work into my life? What, what could you offer up to somebody in that situation? Well, let me give you a couple of suggestions. The first one is one that sounds intuitively obvious, but a huge number of people in middle management never get it. And once you make peace with this, your life becomes much more productive and you get happier. The insight is every decision in the world is made by the person who has the power to make that decision. Make peace with that. Not the right person or the smartest person or the best person. It's made by that person. When you influence that person, you make a difference. If you do not influence that person, you do not make a difference. And so much of our lives have been spent whining because it's not right or it's not fair or they don't understand. Well, this is life. And once you make peace with your mission in life is to create a positive difference, not to prove how smart you are or to be right or to be better than everyone, then you really can get a lot more done and you also become happier 
because you're much better at accepting what you can change and letting go of what you cannot change. By the way, ultimately, I've done sessions with people who are ready to retire and looking at the next phase of life, and we've discussed, you know, what matters? Well, basically, there are only six things we've come up with. There's wealth, and most of my clients have that, and most people already retire have that. There's health, and not a whole lot I can do to change that. There's personal relationships. Common misconception about executives, they all have bad personal relationships. Most of my clients have good personal relationships with friends and family. The three things that come up at the end of the day mattering are meaning, is what I'm doing providing meaning in my life. By the way, nobody can define meaning but you. Yeah. Contribution. Am I making a contribution? Am I helping other people? Am I doing something that's creating to a larger goal? And then the final one is happiness. Am I happy in what I'm doing? If you achieve happiness, meaning, and contribution, at the end of the day, you won. If you don't, you lost. And that's about it. And I love what you're saying about that that first insight about the people who make the, the, the people who make the decisions are the people who make the decisions because it really brings up that Stephen Covey principle about control and influence. You know, most people, I think, think they have more control than they do. In fact, what they can control is their, their behavior and their reaction to things and not much more. And people have more influence, they have let, have more influence than they realize they do. And, right. and misassigning how tasks play out and control or influence or no influence whatsoever is one of the causes of unhappiness. Yes. Figuring out how all that works and where I do have influence and where I don't, if you can get that right, then, like you say, you end up being a whole lot happier and having more impact. Exactly. Wonderful insight. Um, so, I mean, that's a powerful takeaway for an individual. You've also sat in a place where you can look across organizations and go, I'm understanding how organizations around the world work. And organizations are as hungry for great work as individuals are and also find it as elusive as individuals often do. At an organizational level, what do you see is getting in the way of great work? I think uh, I'm going to talk about this now not from the organizational perspective but from the individual perspective because I'm really not an expert on organizational issues. I'm much more an expert on micro issues. Mm -hmm. Again, I think the major thing that gets in the way of our great work is our own egos. Uh, and also taking responsibility for our own lives. If you're in a position where you're not making a contribution, you're not finding happiness or meaning, all right, no matter how painful it may be, do something else. Go back to school. Learn something. Get in another job. I mean, I do it. The, the, uh, the average American is spending 15 hours a month whining about management or them. Right. Well, you know what? Take that 15 hours a month and go back to school and learn something new and develop your own career. And if you're not happy, get out. And I I refuse to kind of accept the fact that anybody in rich countries like ours is totally trapped and cannot leave and must stay in this job for eternity. We can all get out. I'm not saying it's easy to get out. It can be painful to get out. But you can get out if you're willing to pay the price. So my advice is if you're not happy with where you are, you're not finding meaning and you're not making a contribution, life is too short. Life is too short. And then the second thing, if you're going to stay, have a positive attitude 
and find meaning. You can almost always create meaning wherever you are. Find a way to make a contribution and find a way to be happy. And a lot of our happiness doesn't come from the outside anyway. It comes from the inside. Right. So I think that's very powerful. And you know, part of the insight around great work is it is a subjective measure. Great work, right. what, great work is what great work is for you, what, what meaning is for you. And part of the discipline of great work, and this is what you're pointing to here, I think, Marshall, is saying figure out what meaning is for you. Figure out what makes you happy, because if you don't know that stuff, it's pretty difficult to find. And actually creating some time and space to, to, to devote to that generating of insight around what makes you tick will allow you to, to build and create a life of you know, meaning and impact and happiness. Well, I think this is the reason why your work is so important. Uh, the reality is what we're talking about is something that is not taught in schools. Right. We're spending thousands of hours memorizing details that we're all going to forget anyway. Mm-hmm. But nobody's talking about life, how to find meaning, how to find great work, how to do something that matters. Instead, we're memorizing uh, when was the Peloponnesian War. Who cares? Right. right? So we're, we're, we're missing the big stuff with an excessive focus on trivia. Marshall, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you just a minute to sort of share any final thoughts you might have around great work and how individuals can find more great work in organizations. But before I do... How can people find out more about your work, the books you've written, the, the services you provide? I mean, if people want to go, I need more Marshall in my life, where are they going to, where are they going to find you? Well, there's two ways. One is go to www.marshall, with two L's, goldsmithlibrary.com and go to free resources. I have videos, audios, uh, articles. Every, I'm a Buddhist. I give everything away. My basic attitude is I'm going to die anyway. I might as well do some good here. You can copy, share, download, duplicate, even modify all of my work any way you want to. I don't care. So I don't have any worries about people. You know, somebody said he'd stolen my material. I said, you can't steal my material. You can't steal what people give you. Right. It's impossible. I have a foolproof security system. You cannot steal anything I've ever done. You cannot steal what people give you. So please feel free to use any of my materials any way it helps you or anyone else have a better life. And if anyone ever wants to contact me personally, my email address is very simple. It's Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, at MarshallGoldsmith.com. Perfect. That's wonderful. Marshall, any final thoughts or comments before you go? One final exercise I recommend for everyone is take a deep breath. Imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. And ask yourself, what advice would the wise 95-year-old who's facing death and knows what mattered in life and what didn't and what's important and what wasn't have for the person that's listening right now? And whatever you're thinking, do that. And a friend of mine interviewed all folks who are facing death, and three themes come up in their answers to this question. What advice would you have had for the younger you? First one is be happy now. Not next week, not next month, or not next year. The great Western disease is sweeping the world. I'll be happy when, when I get the status, the BMW, the condo. The person facing death is when. We all have the same when. First advice Learn to find happiness now, and if you can't find it in what you're doing, find something else to do. Life is too short. Number two is people. Whatever you do, take the time to try to help people, build relationships with people, friends, family, people you work with. The main reason to do it has nothing to do with status or money. The main reason is the 95-year-old you will be proud of you because you did and disappointed if you don't. 
And then the third one is go for it. Life is short. Old people seldom regret the risk that they took and failed. They almost always regret the risk they didn't take. So go for it. Well, That's my advice. That is right. You can't end on a better note than go for it. So, Marshall, thank you. I really appreciate the time. This is another act of generosity on, on your part to give away your insights and your time and, and your thoughtfulness about what makes great work flourish in organizations. So, Marshall, thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. Thanks for joining us for the best of MBS. You can discover more great content in MBS's newsletter and in his books at mbs.works.